right, with that, let's go ahead uh, to prayer one more time. Let's commit this portion of our service to the Lord here. Lord, we want to come to you this morning just, just thankful, thankful that there's nothing too difficult for you. We may have situations uh, that are in our minds that we've you even have just as we, we sit here right now or watch online and think about that are just consuming us, that are very difficult things. And so, Lord, we, we cry out to you for help, Lord. You, you urge us to, to, um, to come to you for help, as it says there, in, t- in our time of need. And, and so, Lord, we come to you this morning uh, corporately and ask for your help in those situations we need help. Maybe it's, maybe it's endurance through a particular trial and difficulty. Maybe uh, we need uh, physical help. We need uh, emotional and spiritual healing. Lord, maybe we're, we need financial help. Lord, maybe there's people that need jobs that are here that are seeking a, a jobs or a better job. Lord, we just pray for your provision there. And um, Lord, we, just, um, we pray for our brothers and sisters that need your healing touch, God. We just lift them up to you now. And Lord, as we get into your word today, I just pray that you'd fill me up with your spirit and help me to accurately... Uh, present your word to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing in Luke here. And by the way, starting next week, we're going to start um, the four-week Advent series. We're going to hit on some of the names that are attributed to Jesus in the book of Isaiah. And we're going to take a dive into each one of those. So so for, for the weeks of Advent, that's what we're going to be doing. And then... Um, then after the first of the year, we'll be back in Luke. So, all right. So if you're able to stand, would you stand with me for the reading of the Word of God, which is our habit here at Darby Creek? And we just do this uh, in honor of the Word of God because we want to see ourselves as believers, as ones who we sit under the teaching of the Word of God, right? All right. So let's listen as I read here. Um, this is Luke chapter 11, verse 14 to 23. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. The title of the message today is No Middle Ground. No Middle Ground. My students actually know what the title of my message is today. You know why that is? I accidentally sent them an email that was meant for Andrea. And so 
this, is, this is why you never try to multitask on your computer and talk to somebody at the same time. Because I had my email up in my browser. Uh, I had Blackboard up in my browser. going to send out some announcements to my students. And, you know, copy, paste, copy, paste. You know, you just got to paste the right thing to the right place. Doesn't seem real hard, does it? Well, it was for me. So my students got an email. You may pray that I have a job coming. Because, you know, you get an email that says, there's no middle ground about Jesus. You know, that's what it was. And I had the description. If you saw the description, it says, there's no neutrality when it comes to Jesus and all that. Uh, the, the thing is, I wouldn't have been any to the wiser except for one of my students uh, emailed me back. He said, did you mean to send this? So anyway, now you, now you know. <laughs> yeah, see, don't feel bad about the pictures about the tree. Not at all. When that came, when that came through, I just said, hey, you got nothing. I got, you know, got nothing on me, you know. So anyway, anyway, so this is, a, this is an interesting passage, you know, a very interesting passage. And I just kind of break it down into three parts, really. The first one is in verses 14 to 16 where the people accuse Jesus. They, the people accuse Jesus. And um, now, now what's happening, right? Well, Jesus is cast out a demon. It says, you know, right there at the beginning of verse 14, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. Casting out a demon that was mute. Um, and, and it says, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. And we've seen Jesus deliver people here in the book of Luke uh, from uh, demons. We've seen him do this before, and here he's doing it again. And, uh, and so what's interesting to just notice, what, what are they accusing him of? You know, they're, they're not accusing him that he's like faking this, like this is all a setup and, you know, where, you know, he's kind of co- collaborated with this guy and they're going to kind of fake a deliverance type of thing or something. No, they're not accusing. They're not denying it's actually a miracle taking place. What they're accusing Jesus of is the power with which he has tapped into to deliver this man from this demon. And they say here, he says that what they were saying is he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. And so, you know, basically they're attributing this power to the devil. And um, this is what they're doing. And now others also, when they see this happen, their response is, in verse 16, it says, while others uh, were testing him and they kept seeking him for a sign from heaven. You know, it's like they wanted something bigger, a bigger sign or something to happen in the heavens even. Some people think that maybe we're looking for a sign in the sky, maybe, you know, stop the sun for another day, you know, uh, something. Uh, but they kept asking for another sign. And so there are different reactions to Jesus doing his work. It's the same today, you guys. It's the same today. People have different reactions to uh, learning of the work of Jesus and learning who he really is. There are different reactions to that. And uh, Jesus is going to, at least in this part of of Luke, he's going to key in on this accusation that he delivered this man by the power of the devil. And so um, this is, uh, is interesting to see how Jesus refutes 
these accusations. So let's just take a look at that there um, in 17 to 22. So he's, he, how does he respond? Well, the first thing he talks about in verse 17 and 18, he says, um, and again, it says, but he knowing their thoughts. You know, how many times have we kind of seen this uh, divine ability displayed, right? Uh, just his ability to know what people are thinking. And this is not an intuition. This is just divine knowledge. He knows what's going on up here. He knows our thoughts. And so, you know, again, I think we have, uh, obviously, here in this passage, a couple things just displaying, displaying that Jesus is God, right? He delivers this man uh, from the demon, and he also knows what these people are thinking. So uh, it says there, it says, so Jesus' response is, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. I mean, this is just, he's like, this just doesn't make sense. You guys are, you're not even, you're not even thinking clearly. He's like, why would Satan, who one of his jobs is to, you know, he, he is to have his demons influence people in all kinds of ways, why would he, why would he let me cast out by his own power a demon out of somebody? It's kind of, he's working against himself. You know, it, it's, it's, so he's saying a house divided will fall because that's exactly what would be happening is if the devil is casting the devil out. I mean, that makes no sense. So Jesus is just um, first appealing to, you know, their, their rational thinking. This is not rational, what you're saying. You're, you're looking for some kind of excuse to explain this miracle or to discredit him, right, to discredit Jesus. And then, and then it, he says in verse 19, and he says, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Now, what's that about? Well, Jesus is calling out their integrity, their honesty. He's saying, listen, you have Jewish exorcists, right? And they presumably cast people out, uh, cast demons out of people. Are you using the same kind of logic with them? Are you attributing their work to the work of the devil? And the answer is no. So he's calling out their integrity. They're not being honest. They're not being fair with him. And so he just blows their argument away. It's not rational. It lacks integrity, this argument does. But then Jesus offers like an alternative explanation to how he is casting out the demons. That's what he says in verse 20. He says, uh, but if it is by the finger of God, in other words, if I'm casting out this demon by the finger of God, so he says, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, uh, the kingdom of God has come near, and when the kingdom of God comes near, uh, his rule is displayed, and in this case, it's displayed by the casting out of a demon, right? 
We've also seen other places where the kingdom of God came near when Jesus was ministering, and also his, his, uh, the 72 he sent out where people were healed, right? And so he, he's saying this is just evidence that the kingdom of God has come, and I am the king, by the way, right? And I'm leading this charge. And so, so the kingdom of God has arrived. Now, I think this is something to just think about for a second. The kingdom of God, right? We've always talked about it here in, in different ways, and different, there's different facets to this language of the kingdom of God. But what is just explained as the rule and the reign of Christ in our hearts, right? That's, that's one way where the kingdom of God is displayed, uh, besides healing and deliverance and that kind of thing. But when Christ rules and reigns in a person's heart, in their life, um, there's transformation. There is transformation, right? And whether the transformation be a deliverance like this man had, or whether the transformation might be in someone's character, becoming more Christ-like, the kingdom of God is reigning in that person's life. And so the kingdom of God has arrived in Jesus Christ there. Now, Jesus also gives us a little short story or illustration of how this kingdom has come and what it's, in, so, what, in some ways what it's accomplished. Look what he says in um, verses 21 and 22. He tells this little story. He says, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted, and he divides the spoil. What is Jesus doing? He's basically saying, this is what's happening here in your midst. I'm stronger than Satan, and I've come in, and I'm plundering his world here. And what is happening is, not only am I going to plunder it and set the captives free, but we're going we're to distribute the spoils, so to speak, right? Because you think about what happens like when an army would go in and take over a place, right? A stronger army would come in, right? They would, they would gather the spoils of war, right? That kind of thing. And so he's using this analogy, that Jesus has come to plunder Satan's house and rescue people for the kingdom. That's what he's doing. He's rescuing people from the kingdom uh, of darkness and transferring to them the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. And this is what's happening. And so uh, I, I think this is, is something for us to think about here when it comes to the cross, as we just kind of celebrated communion, thinking about um, the battle that was won at the cross the cross of Jesus. And so um, let's take a look at Colossians there, if you have your Bible handy uh, or a Bible app, and just, just kind of go to Colossians. And we'll take a look at first in chapter 1. Colossians 1, verse 13. This kind of I referenced this verse without quoting it just a minute ago. Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness 
and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, we take away a number of things from this. One is just that everybody in the world is in one kingdom or another, right? They're either in the kingdom of darkness and duped by Satan, right? Or they're in the kingdom of God. They're, uh, as it says here, the kingdom of his beloved son, right? Where they're experiencing forgiveness and transformation by the power of the Spirit. And so everybody is in one living in one kingdom or another, spiritually speaking. And, um, you know, this really is kind of sobering, quite sobering to think about that everybody we run into, every family member, every classmate, every, every um, neighbor, um, they're all either in the kingdom of darkness or they're in the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And... This is really something that we got to really think about is that this is how we need to think about the world. The reality is uh, everybody is in one kingdom or the other. Now, let's take a look at some of what happened at the cross here. Colossians chapter 2, so in, in the book of Colossians, so Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Kind of similar to the Ephesians passage that I mentioned in communion today where it kind of has us look back like B.C. days before Christ, before we um, had put our faith in Christ. But um, Colossians 2, verse 13, starting in verse 13, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... So this is the thing. is Everybody is born into this world spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. Okay? There is no spiritual life. There's no relationship with God. Okay? And so then, he says, God made alive together with him. So he's talking about, he's again, talking to believers. You... God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Well, how did he do that? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. That is, he set aside, set it aside, nailing it to the cross. So all of our, in a sense, think about all the the things that were true about us, that are true about us, that we're sinners and that we've sinned against God, you know, um, that Jesus was dying for that, and it was nailed, that nail is accusations in a sense, it says we're nailed to the cross. Because obviously um, the only accusations that there were against Jesus were false. He had committed no sin, right? But then it says, again, now we're relating this back to the statement that Jesus gave, that illustration about the stronger man going in, right, and plundering the house of the other person who is weaker. Then it says in verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame 
by triumphing over them in him. So what Christ did on the cross, right, was was to deal, in a sense, a death blow to Satan and his work. That's what happened at the cross. Spiritually speaking, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. And I believe these are, this is talking the spiritual realm here, okay? The rulers and authorities, spiritually speaking. He disarmed them. The strong man went in, took all their weapons, right? They've got nothing left, but there's, see what we're ha- what's happening now uh, after the cross is that we're seeing, you know, yeah, Satan, he's still, uh, he's still uh, up to his old tricks, but listen, he's, it, it's like he's got no teeth. It, it's like he, he's limited abilities, right? He's always had limited abilities, but I'm saying like he's, he's, he's the, the fight is fixed. Jesus has already won, okay? Now we're just seeing uh, Satan try to cling to whatever he thinks he has. And he's trying to do whatever he can to hang on to as many people as he can to take, take him down with the kingdom of darkness. And so, but what we got to realize is that at the cross is that Jesus defeated the devil, and now, as I think about it, every person who's transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son enjoys all kinds of spoils like, well, forgiveness, the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, right? Think of the spoils as all the benefits of salvation, just the whole thing, life eternal with God. All of these things are what Jesus grants everyone who's coming uh, and being transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. So, so we see that Jesus telling this story here of the strong man and the stronger one coming in, he's just simply saying, you know, that's what's happening here. As I delivered this man from this demon, I, I'm, you know, I'm stronger than the demon, than the devil. So when I say go, he goes. He's got no choice. And so Jesus is simply painting a picture for us of what's happened spiritually uh, and what is happening spiritually. And Jesus uh, delivers us and frees us when we come to know him. Now, so Jesus, again, he, he is accused of casting out a demon by the power of Satan, and he refutes him by saying, listen, uh, this, is, this is, doesn't even make sense. It doesn't compute logically. And, first of all, and then second of all, you guys don't use the same standard of judgment to judge your other exorcists by this. And then, and then he's just simply saying, this is what's happening. The stronger man has come. The kingdom has come. Now, this is, he ends with this statement, and this is where we're going to end today, because it's just, um, it, it, it just is, it's just, a, it's like a line in the sand. This is a line in the sand. Jesus is now saying, okay, listen, so, so now, if you didn't know before, there's the kingdom of darkness, and there's the kingdom of the beloved son, right? 
And then he says in verse 23 of Luke chapter 11, he says, whoever is not with me is against me. And we've all heard phrases like that before, right? You're not for me, you're against me. And this is what Jesus is saying. Pick a side. There is no middle ground with Jesus. When it comes to Jesus, you can't say, you know, and I don't know is a I'm against him. I know that's hard to think about, but that's exactly what it is, right? And, 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 and again, I realize that, you know, uh, most, most of us, when we come to Jesus, it's, it's a process, right? But until you say yes to Jesus and put your faith in him, it's a no. You're saying no to Jesus, and you're choosing to stay in the kingdom of darkness. And so, whoever is not with me is against me. And this is what he is challenging these people with. Now, isn't it interesting also that he says, the second part of verse 23, he says, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Whoa, that's interesting. So we're not only talking about being aligned with Jesus, we're talking about being involved in the harvest with Jesus. He's like, you know what? If you you say no to me, you're actually driving people away from me. You're scattering. If you're not with me, you're not only against me, but you're scattering people. You're driving them from me. But if you're with me, you're to be involved in the harvest. You're to be involved in the gathering and the reaching of people to spread the kingdom so that people can come and be delivered and be free from the guilt of sin and all the entrenched things that can trench the devil get his hooks in your life in all kinds of ways because of being a slave to sin. Don't we want people to have that? Don't we? I mean, once you've experienced a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ, we should want to help people come to understand who He is. We should want people to to, to be gathered in, be part of that harvest, be part of in a sense, the flock. You think about this, this gathering. Think about it as a flock, not a harvest. Maybe think about it bringing it in as the flock. And Jesus being the chief shepherd. Whoever is not with me is against me. Now think about that. Where are you with Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? Have you received him? Do you welcome him into your life? Or are you saying no to him or not, or not dealing with him, which I'm saying is the same thing. You're trying to kind of like just keep him off to the side, keep him out of your mind a little bit so that you're not bothered by that, you're not convicted by that. And where are you? That's, that's really, you know, Jesus is saying, you get, you, 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 are you with me or are you against me? And this is a, it's a, it sounds like such a hard, you know, you know, people, especially with religious things these days, are just wanting you to be so nice. And nothing wrong with being nice, but you got to be truthful. <laughs> you got to be truthful, right? You got to, 
got to say it the way it is, too, right? Uh, I guess you don't have to be mean about it, but, you know, sometimes you just can't help it but sound mean when it's like you're either for Jesus or you're against him. And he said it. That's why I kind of look at it. You can be mad at me, but he said it. It's him because that's who he is. He's, he's really the son of God. And it just makes me, as a believer, want to realize that, you know, is my life, is my life and how I'm living it, is it gathering people in? Is it gathering people? Is it, is it bringing, helping, helping bring people to the kingdom of God? Um, J.C. Ryle said this. He said, the half-hearted Christian attracts none by the beauty of his life and wins no respect from the world. The half-hearted Christian. And I think that's a challenge, right, to us to say, you know, am I, even as a believer, am I trying to just kind of keep Jesus secret, you know? He's a secret part of my life. I don't know. No. He died for me openly on the cross, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, when we, when people are baptized here, we we want them to do it publicly because we want them to tell other people about what he's done in their life and not hide it, right? We want them to tell others what Jesus has done for them, right? And so, so this morning, as we, as we just bring this to a close, just think about that. Think about this Jesus drawing that line in the sand. Think about where you are and, and ask the Lord, you know, uh, Lord, if, it, if, if, my, if I don't have a relationship with you, would you just reveal that to me? If I've not put my faith in you for the forgiveness of my sins, um, you know, if it's your heart's desire to do that, do that today, right? Um, put your faith in him. Um, and uh, if you already are a believer, you've already put your faith in Jesus, then, then may the Lord use us um, to be a good influence on the people around us for Jesus. May we be salt and light, right? And may we be uh, drawing people um, to come to know Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning just um, grateful for the teaching of Jesus here, just reminding us that there is no middle ground with him. Uh, we there's no need for us to try to um, uh, you know to, to try to uh, fence sit because fence sitting is really just a no uh, no vote for Jesus and so Lord help us God to be honest with ourselves where we are Lord I pray if anyone here this morning is is struggling with this to put uh, to put their faith in you to kind of go all in with you. Lord, I just pray that you grant them the grace to, to just kind of, in a sense, put all their chips in with Jesus, to say yes to Jesus, to, to acknowledge their need for him and that he is the one and only Savior who demonstrated his love for them on the cross. And Lord, thank you for the freedom that comes because of what Jesus did on the cross. Thank you for that, that Jesus, it, it's not like two equal and opposite powers, you know, the devil and Jesus. No, Jesus is stronger. It's not a, you know, Jesus is God. Satan is like a flea. And so, Lord, we just 
Help us to have a right view of these spiritual things and to remind us of the battles that go on spiritually. Lord, let us be mindful in prayer too, just to realize that these spiritual battles for people's souls and lives, uh, we need to be praying for one another and praying for people who are far from you, Lord, asking you to draw them to yourself, that they might come to saving faith, that they might be transferred for the king, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son. Lord, I also just want to pray if anyone here this morning is in one sense or another being tormented by uh, the spiritual forces of darkness, Lord, we pray they would experience your freedom. Pray they be delivered from that as they look to you. Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.